Chris is opening up our new preaching series called uh, Kingdom Builders. So over to you, sir. Thank you. Oh, Lord, how we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's the source of life, source of wisdom, source of truth. Lord, we just thank you that it lifts us to this wonderful new plane. You have seated us in heavenly places because we have put your trust in you. So, Lord, as we turn to your word, bless it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, as um, Steve said, we're beginning a new series uh, today, and it's called Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders. Uh, and I, I've got the privilege of starting that off. And um, it's looking really at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So we'll be starting off with those, that little bit of portion of Scripture that we call the Beatitudes. But I'd just like to pause at this moment just for a, a second and think about this whole thing. Sorry, if we can shove back one. Kim, kingdom Builders. Um, can you pop back one slide? Lovely. Just Kingdom Builders. Kingdom builders, there's something about this kingdom which is so, so special. It is a kingdom like no other. We had, we had witness yesterday of a king in a kingdom, didn't we? That, uh, that King Charles was crowned king of the kingdom of uh, Britain, UK, and 14 other dependencies, so all of those. Um, so what does this word kingdom mean? Well, it's the, we, we have a king and we have a domain. A king is king of a domain. Put those together and you're at kingdom. And that's what it is, king of a domain. But this domain that we're talking about, not of our king, but the king of kings, is totally different from the kingdom that we celebrated yesterday. Completely different. It is a kingdom with no capital, with no palace, and no throne except the throne that's in heaven. The kingdom of God has a throne in heaven, but heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And what's more, everything in the earth is his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof is a verse that we get out of Psalms. So it's all God's kingdom, but he is enthroned not only in a high and lofty place, but there's a verse which says also with him who is of a humble and a contrite heart. Because God's kingdom dwells in holiness and loftiness and glory, but only when we give acts, uh, uh, presence and access and, and worth to that place of presence and glory and holiness, do we put ourselves in a place of contrite loneliness. And in there, we find the domain and we become part of the domain because God reigns in our hearts. Amen. We are part of the domain. So that's the kingdom that we are talking about here. But Jesus came to introduce it. So we will pop up the first scripture slide now. And um, it's uh, this opening verse, verses of Matthew chapter 5. I just want to emphasize how early this came in Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 1 and 2, he's being born and rushing off to Egypt and back. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 4, he goes into the wilderness and is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he overcomes the temptations. And then after that, we read how he, he went into 
uh, and it says he began to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He went to Naphtali and to other places and preached this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He began to preach. He began to preach. He called his disciples. He began to heal. The healings uh, gained momentum and people were interested and a great multitude come. And then we come to this chapter when the great multitude has come. It is at the offset of Jesus' ministry. And it's very, very special because here, for three chapters, he unpicks the kingdom of heaven and tells us what it's like, this kingdom of this domain that, that we are in and that we seek. He tells us about that. But after that, after these three chapters, there's some more healings, there's some deliverance, but within a hop, skip, and a jump, we arrive in Matthew 13. And what does it say there? It says in verse 34, Jesus didn't teach anything else except by parables. And except by parables, he didn't open his mouth. And so he moved into a code language that only the disciples... These three chapters are the only time when he brought forth the kingdom in plain speech. It's awesomely important. And we visit it as we seek to build this kingdom. Amen? So just let's have a look at it, this first opening of it. I just find it so kingly. It says, seeing these multitudes, he went up onto a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them. I tell you, this is more than a throne. It's a footstool of a throne. But Jesus went up onto a mountain. That was his place where he was going to speak these wonderful truths. And, and the pause there, the silence, while he went up into his mountain and then the disciples came to him. Oh my God, they were agog. They were listening for the moment. When he was seated, they came and then he opened his. They were waiting for what this would be about. So what does it say? Um, it, goes into, it goes into this series of blessings uh, that it can be. So we'll pick those up. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those are the first four of these blessings which come. And when he opened his mouth and began to speak about this kingdom, it was a complete revolution and revelation. It was nothing like what they had heard before. If they were to look around and say, who is blessed in this earth, they would look to the people who were well off, the people who were rich, the people who were famous, for the people who uh, were uh, admired and lifted up for the great and the good. Oh, the great and the good are blessed. No, says Jesus, as he comes in with this, this incredible thing, blessed are the poor. We could stop there and say, blessed are the poor, because God loves the poor. You find it again and again and again in your Bibles. He loves the poor. But it goes beyond that. He says the poor in spirit, because there is a poverty and a hunger, not just for success in this world, but a poor in spirit, which wants the feeding of the soul. And, and those who want the feeding of the soul are the ones who will uh, seek it and find it and be blessed. Proverbs 13 verse 7 says, There is one who makes himself rich and has nothing, 
and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. Now, however rich or poor your bank account looks, can I ask you, are you rich in God? Have you got something which is more valuable than anything this world can give you? Is it nestled in there and held onto for eternity? What a fantastic kingdom this is. No wonder he says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, this new kingdom that he'd come to talk about. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, we have looked in this church at the opening verses of Isaiah 61, the anointed that came upon Jesus. He talks about it in Luke 4, that he has come to preach to, preach to, the, uh, uh, preach to the lost, to bring uh, healing to the sick, to set free those who are uh, oppressed and bring release. But in verse 3 of that Isaiah 61, it says this, to console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, this is just um, wonderful that uh, Jesus comes for the poor in spirit, for those who mourn, and has this ability to change their, their ashes to beauty, their to give them joy for mourning. But what, what's more, it goes on, and it says, yeah, for those that he comes and lifts them out of that place of mourning. You know, in this world, um, there is loss that is suffered. When it says, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, it's on the back of that the, the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we don't go long through this life before we hit uh, a place of loss and a place of hurt. So uh, I believe there's not one of us who has not experienced that which is taken away. It might be our strength and health. It might be our finances. It might be our friends. We might find ourselves lonely. We might find ourselves bereft of a job or not getting what we need or want or, n or, or not being able to do. There is, there is things that lose along the way. And so there's this experience of mourning to which, which Jesus comes and says, yeah, but... I can do something about that because I've made you overcomers. I've made you those people who can see that there is good in everything that I do when we give the glory to God. And so he turns us from people who have mourned to those who can help. And in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation. Then what does it say? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The comfort of God is poured into our hearts in the kingdom of heaven because it's a kingdom of restoration. It's a kingdom of healing. It's a kingdom of light over darkness and life over death. And, and in that, now, there's a, a wonderful expression, I, I love it really, that God has come to comfort the disturbed, but to disturb the comfortable. Um, and the hardest to reach for the kingdom of God are the comfortable middle classes who are very happy, thank you, in their wealth and uh, comfort, but if they're in comfort, they don't, they're not seeking 
And what this first comes is to say, actually, these are for those who seek. And they've got to be given a reason to seek. And so the fact that we've sought and we have found and God has given joy in mourning and lift us up so that we can say, indeed, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That makes no sense. All things work together for good. But that's what, it, that's what we find out. I can remember being at a time in my life where, um, where I hated my circumstances and they were bound up in, uh, in, in my early time in the Navy on a ship. And, and it was like everything had been taken away from me and I, I'd lost all the things that were precious to me. And I can remember going around a corner in the dockyard, seeing the ship and hating it because of what it had done to my life. And then I found that whatever I had lost, God had replaced like threefold in blessing and peace and power and presence. And I thought all those things that I thought I'd lost, they were like trivia. And I went around the ship later on a few weeks later and I loved it for what it had done to my life. It was a time when God had taken my life, stripped away the unnecessary so that I might seek the really, really necessary and I had found him in a different way. I'd found him in a deeper way. I'd found him in a way that meant I never wanted to let him go. How good God is. But the comfort that he pours into us, he then says, now you're a minister. Now you've got a ministry. You can comfort those who are suffering in the same way with the comfort with which I comforted you. Blessed are the meek, it says, for they shall inherit the earth. I just want to say at this moment that these blessings, there's some argument whether there's eight or nine of these uh, beatitudes. I'm an eight person, by the way. Um, but, um, but about half of them are about seeking those who are poor shall find the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn shall find comfort. But half of them are about character. Because, you see, as you grasp the kingdom of heaven... It begins to impact your character. And here's a character one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, that's not inheriting heaven, the kingdom of heaven. That's inheriting the earth. But there's um, some wonderful scriptures which help us in this. Isaiah 57:15 says, it's the one I quoted earlier. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and lofty place. With him also, who is a contrite and humble heart, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You know, there is something about God and his kingdom which is completely opposite from this world and its kingdom. This kingdom of this world glorifies the rich, the famous, the celebrity, and gives us an aspiring that we can never satisfy, and indeed there is no satisfaction in the world. Whatever we desire, we need more of for it to be satisfying. But God works in a different way, not in the high and loftiness, but in the low and contrite and humbleness. And we can only find that place when we realize how incredible God is, that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so is your thoughts than my thoughts and your word than my word. Oh, Lord, I've got to bow down to this. That's the reality. I just want to mention one little example. Um, there was a man uh, called Jacob, and um, he felt the anointing of God upon him. His name was actually changed to Israel later on, but his name was Jacob. And, uh, and his ro mother, Rebecca, uh, wanted him to uh, go 
Uh, I don't know if I got this the right way around. I get my Rebecca's and Rachel's confused, but you can, you can sort me out on that. Um, he, he wanted a wife. Well, he, he'd, he'd upset Esau by stealing his birthright, and his mum says, right, get out of here. I don't want you to marry these uh, local Canaanite women anyway. Go back and, and find a wife uh, amongst my brethren. And so he did. And as he went to that well, uh, a beautiful woman came towards him. Was it Rebecca? Was it Rachel? Rachel, thank you. They shouldn't use two R's. Uh, Rachel came. She was very beautiful. He set his heart upon her. And he was told, you'll have to work seven years for her. And he worked seven years, and it passed like a day because he was so in love with her. And then he got married. And I don't know why, but this man woke up the following morning and found that he'd been given Leah. And Leah was the one with droopy eyes. And Leah... Uh, how he made that mistake, I'm not quite sure. But he woke up in the morning because Leah was the older sister and he'd been given Leah. And, and compared to the beautiful Rachel, she was rather left on the side, left on a shelf, Leah. Oh, but she was the older one. So Uncle Leban said, no, I've got to give you the older one first. But if you work another seven years, you can have Rachel as well. Let me just say this. Who gave birth to Judah? It was not Rachel, the beautiful one. It was Leah, the one who had been left out. Because God looks differently upon this earth than we do. He looks upon the things which are sidelined and left out. And we may have been those people at one time. And we may know those people. But God looks upon that and has heart for it. And Leah became the one who gave birth to Jacob, the lion of the tribe of Judah, from which Jesus, the anointed one, would come. How awesome. Better to be meek. If you think meek is being weak, try to be meek for a week. <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Tell you this, you don't have a drink until you're thirsty, and you don't eat until you're hungry. Or if you do, it's bad news. But uh, uh, hunger makes us seek after things. If you are hungry for God's word, you will read God's word. If you are not hungry for God's word, you will not be reading it. If you are thirsty for God and his righteousness, you will be seeking after his righteousness. If you are not thirsty for that, you will not be. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, after righteousness, a different life, a character-changed life. Because when God poured into my life joy for mourning and, uh, and the riches of heaven for the poverty of my soul, then, then, oh Lord, how can I but then seek the face of this incredible, wonderful, righteous, holy God and want it to impact my life? Okay, let's move on. We've got three more. Blessed are those who hunger... Oh, we haven't moved on. Yes? No, we're sorry. Go back one. I'm on... I am. I'm on blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Um, you will be familiar with Micah 6, verse 8, which says, He has shown you, O man, what is good... What does the Lord God require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Um, we heard repeated yesterday, of course, in the uh, Westminster Cathedral, um, the Lord's Prayer, as it's called. Many people think that the Lord's Prayer is actually John 17, but we know this is called the Lord's Prayer. And what does it say? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's a wonderful parable, of course, of, uh, of a, a, a rich person who bought his servants and said, uh, or his debtors, and said, I need you to pay me. And one said, I can't do it, I can't do it. Uh, and he said, well, okay, uh, then. And the, this chap went and, and demanded the lesser debt from one of his servants, uh, and it went very badly for him. It is imperative that the ones who have been shown mercy can show mercy themselves. Blessed are the pure in heart. And here it's moving into character. It's moving into the mind. Our mind is our battlefield, is it not? Our mind is our battlefield. It's like, I, I, I'm not sure it's theologically true, but we get the little illustration of sort of an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other, lift, list, speaking into one ear and speaking into the other ear. And which one are we going to listen to? Uh, and it's the sort of thing I heard this saying one time. It's a, it's a bit like somebody who's, who's got a, uh, give it a package uh, of their life in the middle, uh, and they've got a, uh, a horse tethered to it one side and a horse tethered to, to the other side. Uh, and that's like the, the, the bad and the good, the evil and the holy. Which is it going to win in this battle of the mind? And the answer is the one you feed. The one you feed. So you feed, the, you feed the word of God. You hunger for that. And, and this is impactful. This moves upon us. And says, it says, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, we could probably all condemn ourselves that we're not as pure as we'd like to be. I find it interesting that it says pure of heart, not pure of mind, because we know that's a torrent of things going on. But pure of heart, what a lovely thing to say, yes, Lord, I want to be a pure heart to you. You know, forgive some of the stuff that goes on in my mind, but my heart seeks after you, for they shall see God. I mean, Titus 1.15 actually says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, and even their mind and conscience is defiled. People live in defeat of conscience. How can they approach a holy God? How can they find him? Can't. Can't. It's only for the grace of a wonderful kingdom where the throne is in heaven, but the one who is enthroned came down to give his life on earth that we can be forgiven, washed clean, dressed in robes of righteousness. How incredible it is they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, I, I think it was probably in Ukraine, which is in the news for massively different reasons for the last year, but I think they almost had a civil war going on um, back along, uh, and they had the opposition and the government, and, uh, and they were throwing petrol bombs at each other, something like that, and a about four or five, maybe ten, um, of the um, priests in, in all their robes stood in the middle in between them. It was a very dramatic picture. And it said above it, blessed are the peacemakers, because they stood in, in that place. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's actually my privilege to read these verses every year um, on the uh, Remembrance Sunday. 
uh, and I get invited to the event on the hoe. I'm quite surprised that there's an Anglican bishop, there's a Roman Catholic bishop, and me, for goodness sake. But I've done churches together for a long time, so I don't know, but hey. But um, they have a big part each, and I have a very small part each, and my very small part is to read Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. And it's because it says, blessed are the peacemakers. Because actually, uh, even as we saw yesterday, our country is about making peace. Um, the, the kingship isn't ch- exchanged through war, uh, and the, uh, the, the soldiers weren't all there to show off their weapons. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, it's a lovely thing. I'm sure there are many, many times we bless God <laughs> that, we were, that, we're, that we're in this country uh, beca- as we see the ravages of war going around us. But blessed are the peacemakers. Now, God's put peace in our hearts in all circumstances, but to make peace in other situations requires a wisdom that is only from above. Uh, and, and God can give us that wisdom. So we've looked through seven of the blessings that are there. But the last one, if you like, moves on to consequences. Because a heart that seeks, the, the, the seeking ones, the, the, the poor that uh, is blessed with the kingdom of heaven, the a hunger and thirsty that should be filled, those seeking ones tell us that seekers will be finders. Seekers will be finders. And it tells us of the seekers who are finders that there is this character move, this, uh, this infusion of the, of the wonder of the kingdom of God within us. But as that happens, it isn't too surprising that there are consequences. And that's what the last one moves on to, which I'm looking up, up there now. Uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that's beatitude number Eight. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Has your faith made enough difference in your life and in your character for the world to notice? Hope God's noticed, but I hope your family has noticed. Hope God's noticed, but I hope your community has noticed. Your workplace has noticed. Those that you're with think, oh, something different. You don't speak the way the world speaks. You don't joke the way the world jokes. You don't have values that the world has values of. Something has changed. Something has changed. And that changing can be proved by persecution. And when persecution comes, we often have to say, Lord, I must be doing something right. (laughs) Because the enemy wouldn't be interested in me if I was doing nothing for you. So persecution comes. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, not the other stuff, but for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that reward, that blessing in verse 10, goes right back to the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's gone from the first one there to the last one, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, proved it in their lives, got the kingdom in their hearts, it's made a difference there, and it's brought the persecution of the world, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we move on to the last bit, and it's a change, but not a change uh, in character, if you like. It's It's a continuation of the consequence. 
So verse 11 says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The only thing that has changed between verse 10 and 11 and 12 is it's gone from third person to second person. All of the other, blessed are those who are poor but will find God. Blessed are those who hunger but will be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In this last one, blessed are you. Comes down to the personal. It touches the second person. It's God pointing down from above and, he, and wanting to say into your heart, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all evil against you falsely for my sake. You are blessed. It's that second person that comes in. And in actual fact, this is a switch for the whole of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Where is it opened up talking about the kingdom and what it was like and, and those who would access it and what it would be like in their character when it switches from verse 10, bless those who are persecuted, to verse 11, bless you when you're persecuted, it changes it for the rest of that chapter. And it says, um, when they say to you, uh, hate your enemies and love, your, uh, love those who love you, but I say to you, and, and, and it changes it to you, 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 um, through that. So it goes into this second person. Rejoice exceedingly. Well, we can, we can indeed rejoice when we know that our values are not the values of this world, that our speech is not the speech of this world, our jokes are not the jokes of this world, our lives are not the life of this world because the kingdom in which we serve, the domain which we enjoy is not of this earth. When he says, I have seated you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, then we have no business being under the circumstances. How are you today? Oh, okay, under the circumstances. No! We are not under the circumstances. We are over the circumstances, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, and that is our domain. Amen. Thank you. Just say that last line again for us. That line again. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> are seated in heavenly places. If somebody says to you, or you say to somebody, how are you? And they say, all right, under the circumstances. We have, as Christians, no business under the circumstances. We are over the circumstances. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we will joy with him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Can you just bring up the, uh, the, the three other slides that Chris had? Just, um, he didn't do these, but I just want to finish with these. The kingdom of God is revolutionary. Come on, church. As Chris has taught us and has, has led us into a place of opening up this, this series for us, this is, what, this is what we need to get ready for. The kingdom of God is revolutionary. Next one. The kingdom of God is righteous. Come on. And the kingdom of God is ready to grow. Yeah? The kingdom of God is ready to grow. If, if you've been on this journey for a long time, you know the joy when a new 
person comes to the kingdom of God. If you've just joined this journey, you're absolutely celebrating that God loves me. And how amazing is that? But let me tell you, the kingdom of God is ready to grow. What a great morning it's been this morning, eh?